want you to go tell Southern Cal to bring a damn lunch because it's going to be a long ass day for him. Don't forget, man, we're going to get up on the run, we're going to go, 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 go. And we are to the stop until we go to our goal line. Don't forget, man, today, today, we're going to win. The Cat Lickers and the Black Island are gone. The first was for the man to win there. Fight, 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 fight. What do you say, man? Hey! And a football on the exchange, and the Trojans have it. Where the Gophers is Pine. Superman Rush, Pine trying to create. Now it's rushed and delivered. Late over the middle, and it's intercepted. It's time! It was early morning yesterday I was up before the dawn And I really have enjoyed my stay Toby must be moving on Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Tasty Waves and a Cool Buzz. My name is Aaron Martinez. We're talking college football this morning. If you've been a loyal listener for the past month, you know that that is a different intro this morning. We're going to get into that in a second. I am coming to you live from sunny South Bend, Indiana. 35 degrees. Feels like 30. It's cold outside, but it is a beautiful day in South Bend because we received word over the weekend that Drew Pine is entering the transfer portal. Now, initially, my first thought on that was, okay, so Tyler Buckner's back, which actually ends up being the truth. And Tyler Buckner will be playing in the Gator Bowl against South Carolina, and Drew Pine will be entering the transfer portal, like I said, and pursuing a career Hopefully a good career, actually. And I'm going to get into this in a second because I feel like I've been rather harsh to Drew Pine um, this year. So, like I said, Drew Pine entering the transfer portal. He's out of here. I have a couple thoughts on this. First, not sure why Tyler Buckner gets to come back from injury and immediately start in the Gator Bowl. I don't know if Drew Pine saw the writing on the wall and just decided that it was time to leave before Kenny Minchie comes in next year or before Notre Dame looks to the transfer portal themselves. So I I do think there is an element, at least to some degree, where Drew Pine must have known that his days at the helm in South Bend were numbered. Um, I'm not sure why he wouldn't add the bowl game to his resume unless he thought that, for whatever reason, Tyler Buckner was going to get the nod. Now, I have a couple thoughts on this. So, I'm not 
I, I'm not pleased with this, actually, which is going to be a surprise to a lot of people because I've been particularly critical of Drew Pine over the course of the season, but I, I'm not happy about this. And the reason why I'm not happy about this, at least initially, is why, why does Tyler Buckner get the starting job? Or is Tyler Buckner getting the starting job just a byproduct of Drew Pine leaving uh, before the bowl game so that he can enter the transfer portal? I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I'm not certain what the, uh, what the motivating factors were there, but this is one of those situations where you kind of, you really harsh on someone for a long time and, and then the kid leaves the school and now, and now you just feel bad. Like I, I feel bad about being so harsh on Drew Pine this year. Was I being objective? Absolutely. Like I think, I think to a certain extent, I would have questioned my journalistic integrity if I wasn't harsh on Drew Pine in certain situations. But now that Drew Pine is gone, and I have a little bit more clarity, I'm not sure I was fair to him, okay? I, I'm just not convinced I was, I was fair to him. And here's why. Drew Pine this year went 8-2 and two as a starter. That's, that's really not bad. Um... I'm getting I'm getting word from one of my producers that Marcus Freeman may have told Drew Pine that they were going to be looking at the transfer portal for a QB going into next season, and that influenced Pine's decision. That's that's my producer Derek here in the studio. So I think yeah, I mean clearly saw the writing on the wall. Literally, Marcus Freeman was writing on the wall. We are getting a transfer QB. You should get you should get out of here. Um, but I, I do think I was a little bit harsh now that now that you have a little bit of clarity. You know, like, have you ever been, uh, this happens a lot in high school, right? This is this is one of those high school situations where you're dating a girl for, for like two months and then uh, you go to the mall with your buddies and you see, you see another cute girl from a different school and you're like, wow, grass is greener on the other side. So you, you go to your, you go to your little high school sweetheart and you're like, hey, um, yeah, it's not going to work. And then, uh. And then you go after this other girl, you start courting her, and then that doesn't necessarily work out either. And then you're sitting there, and you're like, man, person A wasn't really that bad, was it? And that's kind of how I feel about Drew Pine, where it really wasn't as bad as I think I made it sound. Do I think we should still go to the transfer portal? Absolutely. So please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should keep Drew Pine. I think Drew Pine is an eight-win quarterback, especially for a team like Notre Dame. I, th I think he is an eight-win quarterback. Over the entirety of a course of a season. I know there's a little bit of Monday morning quarterbacking going on here where, well, he won eight games and now you're saying he's an eight game quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I think he's an eight win quarterback. I think with Drew Pine, an eight and four season and actually a really good season. Granted, he didn't play in two of those games um, in the eight and four season. I don't think Drew Pine beats Ohio State. Drew Pine has the potential to beat Marshall, but Drew Pine didn't beat Stanford. So, you know, it's really, it's six of one, right? So, I, do I think I was harsh in, in retrospect? Absolutely. Do I think I was wrong in retrospect? Absolutely. I do not. I do not think I was wrong. I do think Notre Dame needs to move on from Drew, Drew Pine. And, and, and quite frankly, Notre Dame has been missing an elite quarterback for the better part of a decade. I, I, I can't point to a team in the past 10 years going even deep into the Brian Kelly era where we had an elite quarterback, a quarterback who could take over a game like Caleb Williams, uh, C.J. Stroud, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna stop short of saying Stetson Bennett and JJ McCarthy. But we are missing quarterbacks of that elite caliber that can be in the Heisman conversation. When you are a program looking to move to the playoff and be competitive even in the playoff, you need a quarterback that can at least be in the Heisman conversation. Doesn't need to win, but needs to at least be in the Heisman conversation. I mean, we're seeing it right now with TCU. People think TCU doesn't belong in the CFP, whatever, right? You're wrong if you think that. But even Max Duggan is tangentially related to the Heisman Trophy conversation. And that's just something that Notre Dame has not had in years. A very, very long time. We have not had an elite quarterback. And that's been the one thing that's hindered this program from getting to the echelon on the field that it is as a brand. Because Notre Dame, the brand, is humongous. It's it's global. Okay? And we're not there with our quarterback play. We're just not. And Tyler Buckner is clearly not the answer. Drew Pine wasn't the answer, but Drew Pine was such a great bridge quarterback for us. But that bridge just leads to another bridge. And so this is where I I understand that this is the landscape of college football right now. And this is kind of how it goes, where you need bridge quarterbacks that can at least hold it down for you so that you're good enough to get recruits. And you're, you're kind of just on that cusp where a recruit can look at this and say, I can come in and make a difference. And that's exactly what Drew Pine did for us. So, you know, as harsh as I've been to Drew Pine, and as much as I think we should move off Drew Pine, I want to give my sincerest thank yous to Drew Pine for keeping Notre Dame in a conversation, for getting us to a bowl game, for leading Notre Dame to an 8-2 and two record under his tutelage, which, to be fair, we should have been 9-1 and one because we should not have lost to Stanford. And we should have ended the season 9-3. and three. I'll spot you the loss to SC. You didn't play against Ohio State. You did not play against Marshall, at least in a meaningful capacity. So I do not mind Drew Pine going 8-4. and four. Should have beaten Stanford. But hey, thank you. Sincerest thank yous. This is not even sarcasm. It sounds like sarcasm. It's not sarcasm. The sincerest of thank yous, the greatest thank yous, okay? The greatest thank yous to Drew Pine for bridging Notre Dame to a point where we could bring in recruits and we can hopefully get somebody in the transfer portal. Now, transitioning to the transfer portal, what also came out this weekend in a not unforeseen turn of events considering how their conference championship game went, DJ Uyagagale is now in the transfer portal. And if if Marcus Freeman... And Tommy Reese are not on the phone with DJ Uyagalele this morning. They, they deserve to be fired. Okay? They deserve to be fired because what he, what he has been able to do at Clemson, look, despite, despite anything that, that may have transpired this season, okay, give him the benefit of the doubt. He's a quarterback that's played in the, in the playoff, all right? So, so I don't want to hear any, oh, well, he's having a down year. Sure, he is having a down year. But guess what? Not really. I mean, when you look at his stats compared to Drew Pine, he has the same amount of touchdowns, the same amount of interceptions, and 500 more yards. So it's still an upgrade. But what he gives you that Drew Pine doesn't give you, okay, is supreme ability to extend plays with his feet. And this year alone, he has an additional 550 yards rushing and an additional seven touchdowns on the ground. 
okay? Drew Pine doesn't have that. And so, although I do think that DJ Uyagale might not be, you know, this sort of transcendent quarterback, he is significantly better than what we have right now. And we're just missing that X factor that Caleb Williams has, which is if the pocket collapses, can he do stuff on his feet? Is he enough of a threat on his feet that we're occupying some of our defensemen with spying on the quarterback, right? So maybe we alleviate some pressure and now we can get the ball down the field. I think DJ Uyagale is a supreme pickup from Notre Dame if we can pull it off. I have heard rumors, and they are just rumors. I have heard rumors that he's looking to go to UCLA. Now, I'm not sure how true that is because UCLA has some fantastic young quarterbacks, and I'm not sure at this moment you want to sell the car to pay for gas in that respect. I mean, do you forego the development of your young guys in order to bring in someone like DJ Uyagale in a conference in which you probably won't beat USC next year. I mean, I'm not sure that DJ brings you over that hump. You have so many other things that you need to, to situate if you're Chip Kelly that I'm not sure that this quarterback does it for you. But I do think, hey, if you want to win in the immediate, which, which that's the college football landscape, there is no postponement here. You either win or you don't. There is no, there is no more patience in college football from the fan base, from administrations, with even within the program. I mean, you pick somebody up, you have to, you have to immediately get results. I mean, that's the same thing. You think this Colorado hire when they're hiring Deion Sanders, they're not hiring Deion Sanders to win five years from now, right? They're hiring him to immediately turn the program around, immediately get recruits. And now they don't think, at least I would, I would reasonably assume that they can't possibly think he's going to win the Pac-12 next year. Surely not. But there is an immediacy to trending in the right direction. And so in in that respect, I think UCLA might go after DJ only because they need to win in the immediate. But because of that same reason, I think Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese need to be courting DJ Uyagale tremendously right now. I mean, that that has to be the transfer portal hire. Who do you go into the transfer portal and get if it's not him? Sam Hartman from Wake Forest, who I'm still I'm still bullish on that. I'm still bullish on that. But if it's not going to be him, and he's not even entering the portal, let's be honest, like he's not entering the portal, so it's got to be DJ. And I think to an extent, Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman must have seen this coming, especially with Clemson's use of Cade Klubnick this year, they must have known that they were going to move off DJ, and that's why they're kind of putting their eggs in the transfer portal basket. They must have seen this coming. So good on them. Good on them. And I hope that we can snag DJ uh, from the uh, from the Clemson Tigers. Okay? Now, I got so excited about talking Drew Pine leaving and DJ potentially coming that I forgot to tell you what we're going to talk about today. I just got too excited, got too carried away. I mean, that 15, this first, first 15 minutes just burned through. That was wild. That was fun. Let's keep it going. So we're talking Georgia LSU, Michigan, Purdue, TCU, Kansas State, USC, Utah. Have to, right? These were the potential 
top four going into this weekend. Then we're gonna re- we're gonna react to the CFP rankings. I'm going to completely dismantle anything that any sort of delusional Bama fan could even possibly drum up. And then I'm going to describe how we should realign the college football landscape in order to make a better playoff system because clearly this system's not working, right? So I'm going to describe how we should realign the conference landscape in order to get the best product on the field. All right, so first, Georgia LSU. Um, the the sideline reporter for CBS after the game um, completely just went after Stetson Bennett for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Um, can we pull that up? Uh, Jamie, Jamie, can you pull that up? Okay, here it is. Here it is. Jamie, think, pull that up. Jetty is with the winning coach. Well, coach, you waited five years to relive this moment. How does the Georgia Bulldogs are your SEC champion sound to you? So proud of this group. All they wanted to do, they kept talking about doing something last year's group didn't do. They had really good physical practices this week. So proud of the way they prepared for this game. So proud of this university, this fan base, to get an opportunity to come in this place and play in this game. It's just a great honor. The quarterback that nobody wanted. Good to Georgia. Okay, we won't exactly say that, but a walk-on quarterback. Does he continue to impress you? Stetson Bennett has just been incredible out there. A thrill a minute, man. The guy is uh, really good. He's really athletic. He plays within our system, and he makes everybody better around him. And nobody watches more tape and prepares more than he does. Congratulations. So, poor Stetson Bennett. Dude is just catching haymakers left and right. And I honestly, I'm just so confused why there's still this sort of narrative that Stetson Bennett isn't good. The, The quarterback that nobody wanted. Jenny Dell, you should be ashamed of yourself. I mean, that is just horrible. What What do you mean, the quarterback that nobody wanted? Was he a walk-on? Sure. But, I mean, clearly Georgia wanted him. He was on the roster. What? How do you even frame it that way? I mean, I see what she's trying to do here, right? She's trying to write this sort of, like, Cinderella-esque story. Um, but Stetson Bennett this year has thrown for 3,500 yards. Sure, he has only 20 touchdowns and to six interceptions. Whatever, that's fine. But he has the sixth highest QBR in college football. It's not like this guy's a bum, right? He just won a national championship last year. So to sit here and say, oh, the quarterback that... Can we just get away from that? The quarterback that nobody wanted. Give me a break. You're the sideline reporter that nobody wants. How about that? This isn't even past tense. We just don't want you anymore. Because when you're going to ask questions like that, you've, you've fully surrendered any sort of journalistic integrity. No sideline reporter should ever be talking about a quarterback in that way, especially when that quarterback is just off a national championship season, has just won the SEC championship. Oh, and by the way, Georgia's 31-1 and in their last 32 games. So please, Jenny Dell, spare me. That, that is horrendous. You should be ashamed of yourself. Moving on into the game itself. So this should come as extremely little surprise to anyone who watches college football. I have said this for weeks. I said this when LSU beat Alabama. There's no reason there's no reason why we should have thought that LSU was going to be even mildly competitive in this game. The Bama win doesn't mean anything. It, it just doesn't. 
It doesn't mean what it used to mean, at least not this year, okay? LSU drops to 9-4 in an absolute roller coaster of a season. This season saw them, in the same season, beat the number 5 team, the number 23 team, but then lose to the number 1, the number 6, the number 13, and an unranked. So, please, like, don't tell me that LSU was a good team relative to the top 10. Are they a solid team? Sure. I mean, they're what are they? What did they finish the season ranked at? Fourteen, I think. Fifteen, I think it was fourteen. Um, yeah, I mean that's a solid showing. But this isn't the kind of season that the SEC West is normally used to. I think we have to come to the consensus here, and and people are just going to need to understand that the SEC West this year just wasn't what it has been in the past. It it just wasn't like coming out of the SEC West wasn't the, wasn't what it normally has meant, and people just have to come to terms with that. Okay, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you had Bama, but then outside of Bama, you had a nine and four, eight and four, eight and four, six and six, five and seven, five and seven. I mean, that's that's run of the mill. I, if you look at if you look at the Pac-12, even the Pac-12 went. 11 and 2, 10 and 2, 10 and 3, 9 and 3, 9 and 3, 9 and 3, 7 and 5 before you get to a losing uh a losing record. So maybe the SEC West isn't what we thought it was this year. Can we just come to terms with that? So when we talk about Bama's quality losses and quotes which we'll get to later in the show, can we just get off the fact that the SEC West is some sort of juggernaut? It wasn't this year. But I digress. Let's get back to Let's get back to the game itself. I apologize. Let's get back to the game itself. Um, knowing what Brian Kelly inherited after the Orgeron fiasco and disaster, this was actually a pretty solid season for LSU, all things considered. Next year, LSU has the fifth-ranked recruiting class going into 2023, and they will end their season playing Purdue in the Citrus Bowl on January 2nd. Now, looking at Georgia, is there a cause for concern? Um, I want to be very careful about how I approach this because I don't, I don't want to sit here and scream that we're at DEFCON 1 and that Georgia needs to be concerned. A lot of these yardages came in garbage time and Georgia handled the game easily. So I don't want to frame this in such a way that it makes it sound like the game was competitive because it wasn't. But what I do want to say is even in garbage time, I'm concerned that one, Georgia actually got outscored in the second half. Well, they were up 35 to 10, so it really doesn't matter. But outscored nonetheless. And they gave up 300 yards passing and two passing touchdowns to LSU's backup quarterback. And that was only in the second half. All in, they gave up 500 yards passing. This is going to spell disaster for Georgia if they play to this level against Ohio State. Because what's Ohio State's greatest threat? Their receiving core and their quarterback. And if they start getting passes and they start completing passes down the field, it's going to be a long night for Georgia. And I think that Ohio State was possibly the worst matchup for Georgia. And we'll, we'll get to that. Like I said, we'll get to that when we talk about the CFP. But I think Ohio State was po- possibly the worst matchup, matchup that uh, Georgia could have gotten for the playoff. And so... Like I said, we'll talk about that in a second. 
But ultimately, Georgia did what good teams do. They won the game. They won it handily. Um, they earn a spot in the Peach Bowl. Like I said, they're playing Ohio State on New Year's Eve. But if I'm Kirby Smart, that 500 yards passing is is going to keep me up at night for the next few days because that plays right into Ohio State's hand. And you know that a fire is burning in those boys in Columbus because they're playing with house money right now. And I suspect they'll be freewheeling it in Atlanta. Nothing to lose, everything to gain. And that is a very, very dangerous opponent to play if you're Georgia. Moving on to Michigan and Purdue. So, again, another heavy hitter winning their conference championship handily. Okay, All year, Michigan has been a second-half team. And if you watch the broadcast and you listen to the broadcast, you heard Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson talking about the fact that um, the fact that Michigan is kind of like this boxer, right? That hits heavy body shots in the early rounds and then goes for the KO in the deeper rounds. And that's that's really what we've seen from Michigan all year. Um, Purdue came into the game and they sort of like magically came out of the the Big Ten West. It was Illinois for a long time. And then Purdue kind of just fell into the game. Um, despite the stat line, their quarterback threw 366 yards. Okay. So, I mean, no no slouch statistics there. Um, but he also threw two interceptions and he threw no touchdowns. So, like, despite the fact that he threw three and a half football fields worth of passing yards there just wasn't much going for Purdue and if you watch the game it looked like that Purdue just never really had anything going um there's not much to say they didn't do anything of incredible value um even even with Blake Corum out of the game um Purdue did nothing nothing of value so Michigan remains and retains so they remained at number two they retained the Big Ten title even with Blake Corum having undergone knee surgery last week, Donovan Edwards has been able to not only fill in, but ultimately take over. Donovan Edwards put up 185 yards and a touchdown on the ground. There has been absolutely no drop-off in the run game for Michigan. And I will be very, very interested to see how that matches up with TCU. What concerns me still, though, is J.J. McCarthy and then... Ultimately, the reliance on the run game because, okay, so let me be, again, let me be clear. J.J. McCarthy had about as efficient of a game that a quarterback can possibly have. Went 11 for 17 with 161 yards and three touchdowns. So he's averaging a touchdown every 53 yards. That's quite efficient when you think about it. And they don't need any more of that from him. But the question becomes when you can't rely on it, when you can't rely on the run game, if TCU were to shut down the run game, if you can't rely on that, can you realistically rely on J.J. McCarthy? Now, we saw it happen against Ohio State, right? Because Ohio State sold out on the run, and J.J. McCar- J. J. McCarthy, for what it's worth, made it happen with his arm. But we've also seen this work outside of a team's favor. Especially now, okay, so I need to, 
okay. <laughs> let me let me let me gather my thoughts here. So we've seen this not work out. And what I mean by that is Notre Dame for five weeks leaned heavily into the run. Took the ball out of Drew Pine's hands for the most part, leaned heavily into the run with Logan Diggs and Audric Estime. Then they get to USC. They're playing in the Coliseum. USC de- just demolishes Notre Dame's run game. And Drew Pine can't make it happen with his arm, even though I think he only had three incompletions in that game. Well, what happens if TCU actually does shut down the run game? Because don't don't forget, Ohio State gave up two massive runs. I think one was for 75 and one was for 85. So if TCU doesn't give up those rushing touchdowns, can J.J. McCarthy get it done with his arm? And I don't know yet because this is the first game in the last four weeks that J.J. McCarthy was at least comfortably above a 50% completion percentage. And he only had 161 yards. And when you're playing Purdue, 161 yards isn't particularly impressive because I do want to give him the credit that he deserves, but it's not particularly impressive. It's Purdue. So I don't know. I I like TCU's odds here. I mean, this might have been the best matchup that TCU could have gotten. It's not the worst matchup, or excuse me, it's not the best matchup Michigan could have gotten, in my opinion. But we will see how that game plays out in the Fiesta Bowl. Okay? Michigan, like I said, will play TCU in the Fiesta Bowl in Scottsdale on New Year's Eve. I'm very, very excited to watch that one. My sister-in-law is a Michigan alum. And my wife is a TCU alum, house divided. But to be fair, you know, both of them are, they're quite nice to one another. So I don't think there'll be much trash talk going on. I think in a, in a perfect world, they would tie and then they would both go to the championship game. Um, but I'm very interested to see how that game plays out. I think TCU can win this game. I think TCU can win this game. And I'm very excited to watch it. I've said that like five times. Now, Perfect segue. Let's move into TCU, by the way, because this was the game that caused all the controversy. You know, when USC lost on Friday, everyone, okay, great. Ohio State's in. Then everyone looked to TCU. And again, everybody wanted to make TCU this sort of scapegoat. Oh, well, you know, TCU was never good. If they lose once, then they don't deserve to be in the playoff. Okay, first of all, why? Okay, um, first of all, why? And then secondly, yes, they do. And they lost by three in overtime, and we're we're gonna we're gonna have this conversation, and we're we're gonna have this conversation, and, and we'll get there in a second. But like, at what point do we admit that even though Kansas State has three losses, they're still a very solid team? Like, at what point do we just admit that? Because we were very we were very willing to admit that for LSU, who has a bad loss on their resume. We were very, very willing to admit that even though LSU had three losses, oh, they're in the SEC West, they're a good team. Why does the Big 12 not get the benefit of the doubt? The Big 12 was no slouch conference this year. So, again, why does Kansas State not get the same level of respect? I'm so tired of the SEC bias. I say this every week. I'm going to say it every week for the rest of my life. I'm so tired of this SEC bias. But moving on, okay? They're a very solid team. And even solid teams can lose games. And that's why we play out the season instead of assigning wins and losses based off rosters. Okay, so into the game we go. From the outset, this was probably the most entertaining game to watch this weekend. I don't even say probably. It was without a doubt the most entertaining game to watch this weekend. If you love watching missed tackles, 
USC game probably got you feeling some type of way. But if you like watching entertaining football, you uh, TCU and Kansas State was the game to watch. So by every metric, TCU won the exchanges on the field by, by every single metric. So when we look at it, right, total yards, TCU, passing yards, TCU, rushing yards, TCU, yards per play, TCU. Where TCU did not beat Kansas State is, is essentially where this game was lost for TCU. They lost the third down battle. And TCU's inability to stay on the field ultimately kept Kansas State in the game and by the end of it won Kansas State the game. TCU went 2 for 15 on third down. 2 for 15. That is very bad. Especially when you're on the cusp and and, and rightfully so in the playoff. If Michigan holds TCU to 2 and 15 on third down, that game gets out of hand and it gets out of hand very, very fast. So, again, the, the play calling at certain times was suspect for TCU. Um, but ultimately, you know, they're going to be in the playoff. I do want to talk about Max Duggan for a second because I think it's important. And he was in the Heisman conversation. With all due respect, with, with the utmost respect to Max Duggan. I'm not certain why. Because sometimes... When we watch games, we get so seduced by storylines that we that we sort of forget to actually pay attention to how the game is going and what's what's genuinely transpiring on the field. So I want to give you this. When I was in high school, we had intramural sports. And it was it's an all-boys school. Every homeroom had their own football team. And intramural football was kind of that competitive outlet and was at least some sort of um, social currency on campus. Like, did it mean a whole lot? No. But within your immediate friend group, it, it was fun to say, hey, we beat you. You know, oh, we lost to you. Oh, you know, one of my best friends dropped a game-winning two-point conversion in the end zone and so we didn't get to play you know in the championship game whatever you know it's that's always fun right and and the 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 last thing I said there actually happened and it still keeps me up at night it haunts me I was the quarterback and um you know we're not going to get into it he knows he knows he dropped it he knows he he kind of just ruined my high school experience but you know we live and and we don't move on but life moves on so anyways Max Duggan is kind of the prototypical flag football quarterback. Okay. And I know what you're asking. What what does that mean? Like you just set up this whole flag football thing. Here's what it means. In flag football, when the ball gets snapped, you kind of just see all of the receivers bolt down the field. And when you're playing, especially like in high school, like everyone wants to be that, that guy that throws a bomb touchdown pass or that catches a bomb touchdown pass. And so the receivers just take off down the field. And then what happens is, well, because there's no offensive or defensive line, there's just acres of space between the receivers and the quarterback. And so more often than not, when the space is open, the quarterback just takes off running. And that is exactly what happened on that final regulation drive for TCU. 
Max Duggan had 95 yards on the ground. They got the ball on the five, and he literally ran every single yard of that drive and culminated in a touchdown. I mean, the dude ran so much in such a little bit of time, he like almost collapsed on the field. He was like crawling off the field. I don't know why he declined getting oxygen, but I mean, he left it all out there. But ultimately, like we get so enthralled in that story and we love that story so much. Oh, this is his Heisman moment. He ran for 95. Well, what do you do when you run for 95 yards? You don't throw the ball. And, and that's what I need to point to is, you know, even if Michigan shuts down the run, can Duggan get it done with his arm? Because ultimately, he only threw for 251 yards and 50% completion, and he had one touchdown to one interception. Hardly a Heisman stat line, especially considering the fact that they lost the game. So that, that, that stat line with his arm gets lost in the fact that, oh, he ran for 95 yards. Yeah, well, if you're running as a quarterback, what are you not doing? You're not throwing the ball. And that's the majority of what you're responsible for. Because as far as I know, TCU doesn't run the Wildcat. So why are we getting so seduced by this Max Duggan running for 95 yards story when you know it kind of takes away from the reality, the harsh reality, admittedly, that he didn't throw the ball particularly well this game. So this is why I think this is going to be an interesting matchup between TCU and Michigan because I think they align quite well. They have similar storylines. They both rely on their run game. It just so happens that TCU's run game comes from Max Duggan. So, very interested to see how this game plays out. Despite the loss, TCU clearly deserves to be in the playoff, and anyone who disputes that is an absolute moron. Okay, TCU just played 11 weeks of football in a row and won 10 of those games, and the one game they lost, they beat that team like six weeks ago, Okay, and they lost by three in overtime. So, Yes, a loss is a loss, but not all losses are created equal, okay? And TCU, like I said, plays in the Fiesta Bowl on New Year's Eve. And Kansas State, ironically, plays Bama. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that and why Bama is just the biggest sore losers on the planet. Okay, USC-Utah. So because this happened on Friday, it, I've, it's almost lost its flavor with me. Um, there's, there's really not much to say. Look. Sometimes you just have to admit that a team has your number. And for the most part, USC just hasn't, like USC hasn't made excuses. You know, they, they really haven't. Look, when, when you miss 25 tackles in a, in a game, that game's generally speaking, is not going to go in your favor. Um, and, and one thing that I have appreciated about USC fans, for the most part, is they kind of just, they knew that losing this game meant they were out of the playoff and, and no one even tried to lobby because I think most USC fans are rational human beings who kind of looked at it and were like, you know what? You're right. If I can't beat Utah at least once out of two tries, I don't deserve to be in the playoff. And I think Bama fans could learn a little, a little something about that. But I, I struggle to to think about why this game should count against USC, um, especially considering Ohio State didn't even play last week, and now they kind of just get to saunter into the playoff because USC lost a game that they earned 
a spot to be in on a week that Ohio State doesn't even play. Just the, the idea of conference championships working against you has never sat well with me, and it continues to not sit well with me. Um, but but that is the reality of what's happening. And ultimately, I think we have to come to terms with if a game can work in your favor, then it must also be able to work against your favor. We can't just live in a reality where things only work for you and not against you. If you wanted, if if USC was going to use the game as proof that they could avenge their only loss on the season, then it it does need to count against them when they don't win that game. And I don't think any USC fan has a problem with that. Um, their defense had been suspect all year. They relied on turnovers. They didn't get the turnovers, and this is what happens. Okay, so USC, thank you for being rational. Now, I want to get in to Nick Saban and Nick Saban's little halftime show on Fox during the uh, Michigan-Purdue game. So, do we... I'm sorry, Jamie, do we have that? Can you Can you just play that, Jamie? Okay. And what I would say to the committee or anyone else is if we played any of these teams that are on the edge or getting in, would we be the underdog or would we be the favorite? Okay. So, a couple things here. First, do I have an issue with the logic? Absolutely. Yes, because if we just worked in hypotheticals, we would never have to play the game. And so I want to I want to give it to you like this. Because people got mad at Nick Saban for this, and I'm not I'm not sure why. So look, when you apply for colleges and let's say the average GPA for an incoming freshman is a 3.8 and you're sitting there with a 3.5 and you've done, you know, any number of extracurriculars and you're looking down the barrel of a declination. And so what do you do? Well, you ask probably your favorite teacher or at least the teacher with whom you have the best rapport, can you write me a letter of recommendation? And so what is that letter of recommendation? Like, what is it? What does it mean? What does it do for you? Well, it's somebody lobbying on your behalf for your character, for your ability, to show that perhaps the numbers do not reflect who you are as an individual and what you are able to achieve. And that not every GPA, not every single metric is created equally. And so Nick Saban is writing a letter of recommendation on national TV for his team that not every loss is created equal, that not every matchup is created equal, and that he believes his team deserves to be in the playoff. Now, again, let's look at Let's look at the logic here. So let's look at the argument from Nick Saban and let's really break that down. Okay. Let's break that down. So his point was, if, if we were to play any of the teams in the top four, who would be favored? Hey, 
I would say outside of Georgia, probably Bama over the other three teams. Bama over Michigan, over TCU, over Ohio State. But Bama was also favored by eight points over LSU. Excuse me. 13 points over LSU and eight and a half points over Tennessee. What happened in those games? What happened in those games? They lost. Because even though Caesar Sportsbook, hail Caesar, even though Caesar Sportsbook had Bama as 13 and eight and a half point favorites in the LSU and Tennessee games respectively, they lost their games. Because games aren't played on point spreads. Games aren't played on money lines. Games are played on the field. And if you don't get it done on the field, you don't deserve to be in the playoff. So when when your best argument, because Nick Saban is is, is no idiot, right? Like he's going to come out and he's going to make what he determines to be the best argument for his team to be in the playoff. When your best argument to be in the playoff is a hypothetical situation, you're, you're already starting in a bad spot, right? So, so if my best argument, right, you know when a kid gets in trouble on the playground and he's like, hey, little Timmy, did you, did you push Tommy over on the playground? Yeah, I pushed him over, but I mean, I didn't kick him, right? And it's like, okay, well, that doesn't, like, does that somehow make something magically not as bad? Like, you don't get to point to something you didn't do as an affirmative reason why you have earned something. So similarly, when your next best thing is when your next best thing is that you have two losses, and then you're gonna point to two quality loss okay, quality in massive quotes here, a nine and four and an eight and four. Um, oh excuse me, not an eight and four. I apologize. I apologize. An, a nine and four and a ten and two. Nine and four and a ten and two. I mean, so your so your resume builders are your losses. And then the, the tertiary reason is is your wins over Texas and Ole Miss, who are both eight and four. Like that. So so we don't even get to your wins yet. The best thing for you right now is a point spread, two losses, and then we get to your very, very average wins. Oh, by the way, on those wins, you have a common opponent with TCU in Texas, and you beat Texas by less points than TCU did. You played Texas' backup quarterback for the lion's share of that game, and you squeaked out a win by one with the field goal as time expired. And TCU shut down all of Texas' offense, and one by seven. So, like, if we're really going to make this fair, get out of here. Um, and the thing that I hate, I hate, hate, hate about Bama fans is now that they're playing Kansas State, which ironically is the team that beat TCU and whom they thought was going to be the reason why they get into the playoff. Now they have to play Kansas State. And I've already, I've already been seeing this online. I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen it on Reddit. Oh, well, you know, we're playing Kansas State. So, I don't, you know, whatever. We're just going to pack it in. It's not worth playing. Even Nick Saban said, I think bowl games have lost their prestige. That is the biggest 
pick up your ball and go home loser soft mentality I've ever heard in my entire life. Could you be a bigger sore loser than to just not even play because you didn't make it to the finals? Oh, give me a break. What kind of hubristic, arrogant nonsense is this? Oh, spare me. So why do you think bowl games have lost their prestige, Mr. Saban? Is it perhaps that because other programs look to the best teams in the nation and say, well, hey, I mean, if they don't even want to play in the Sugar Bowl, why should we even play in the Cheez-It Bowl? Why should we allow our best player to stay in the cheesiest player of the game room when they don't even want to play in a New Year's Six? I mean, it's so disgusting, man. Could you be any less grateful for this? Look, just because, to be fair, you've built college football probably to the to the level that it is, Nick Saban has a very, very large part in that. But you don't get to just pack pack up your things and go home because you didn't make it into the playoff. You didn't earn a spot in the playoff. Can you just come to terms with that? Golly, Bama fans, man. Horrendous. Okay. I have done everything on, on that. I do want to get into... I do want to get into how I would realign the playoffs in order to make this a little bit more of a better product, okay? Make this a better product. So here's what I would do. Because realistically, there are probably like 32 good teams in college football. Like, you know, when when we look at who the final playoff rankings are and you see, um, you know, I think like USTA is in there at the bottom. When you when you look at these final rankings, you have Troy at 24, UTSA at 25, NC State at 23, even, you know, with all due respect, Notre Dame at 21, Texas at 20. I mean, there's not much differentiating 20 from like 30 to 32. So what I would do is I would take the top 32 teams in the country and I would split them into two 16-team conferences. And then within those conferences, I would split those into four divisions. So you have four divisions of four teams. Now, you're required to play each team in your division twice per year, one at home and one away. And then you have eight other games of the year that you kind of have these at-large at-large games. So anybody from within your conference or, you know, You'll have some cross-conference tie-ins, okay? And so we have two conferences of 16 teams. Now, you say, okay, so, so we have the conference set up. How do we go to the playoffs? Beautiful. So the winner of each division within those conferences, so there's four division winners, they get an automatic bid to the playoffs. 
And then you get two wild card teams from each division that make it to the playoffs. Okay? So the playoffs are comprised of 12 teams. And they're still split from one another. Because ultimately what you're going to have is you're going to have the best team from one conference and the best team from the other conference playing in the championship. So wild card weekend, if you will, would be the number three and four seed playing the two wild card teams. Then you would move to a divisional round where you play the the winner of those two games play the one and two seed. And then you get to the conference round where now you have the final two teams in each conference playing one another for the right to play in a massive bowl game. Some sort of like, it's like a, it's like, how do I describe this? It's like a bowl game of, of some sort of supreme magnitude, like, like uh, two superb, a superb, a superb bowl. That's what, it, we'll just call it the superb bowl, right? And that's how you know you are getting the best two teams in the country playing each other for the national championship. And so you're, you're asking yourself, well, what do we call this playoff system? Well, I've got it for you. Because this is going to be some sort of super league across the entirety of the country, we just call it the National College Football League, the NCFL. The NCFL. I have realigned it for you, and it's perfect. Because in the NCFL, there is never any controversy. Every time the NCFL would get to the superb bowl, you would know that the two best teams in the country are the teams playing in that championship game. There's never any controversy. You know that those are the two best teams. And it's a massive event. It would probably get delayed and pushed until February, probably the first week of February. There's when you would play that game. On a Sunday, probably, because that's you know the best day for sports. I mean, it would be glorious, right? So I'm here pushing for the NCFL where we allow 32 teams into a massive Super League, split it into two 16-team conferences, four divisions of four teams, the top four go, and two wild cards. It's an impressive system. I think it would work. There's no precedent for this. So I'm just I'm out on a limb here. This doesn't exist. But in my mind... This seems like the best way to run it. So that's my take on that. Now, I do want to talk about one last thing before we, before we log off here. Um, Coach Prime to Colorado. So University of Colorado hired Coach Prime. Now, I was still not convinced yet that Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, was mature enough to take over an FBS program. And the reason why I thought that is there isn't another coach in all of college football that brings such a large personal brand that the team is still the team and that it's bigger than the coach itself. Nick Saban may very well be the greatest head coach in all of college football history. But it's not the Nick Saban show in in Alabama. It's the Bama show. In Alabama. It's about the team. It's about the dynasty. It's about the school. It's about the program. It's not the Nick Saban show down there. And I'm I'm wary of this hire because 
I mean, in the locker rooms, if you ever see his, his locker room speeches, like before games, before they walk out, what did he say? Give me my theme music. So I like, I just don't understand that. Now, so many people have seen kind of his first meeting with University of Colorado players. And he goes, I think the quote is, I'm bringing my luggage with me and it's Louie. This is, we got Louis Vuitton luggage coming with me. Guess what? Hey, he's got some great recruits. And honestly, what what do the players in the Colorado locker room even have to complain about? Because what it comes down to is you are probably the worst team in college football. You went 1-11. You may have the worst roster in college football as far as, far as talent goes. But this is such a Pop Warner move to take over a team and just make your son the, the quarterback. But but like, can it get any worse? Like, does it does it matter? Um, does it does it matter at this point? Because their team was so bad that can we even complain that he's making his own son the quarterback? I mean, can it get even worse? Can it get worse than one and eleven? Yeah, you can go zero and twelve, which is a strong possibility, right? But he's bringing so many good recruits that I don't see that happening. But like I said at the top of the hour, you know, there's going to be an expectation here because of who he is and the players he's going to be able to bring in. So I think this was probably the right conference within which to test his medal because you can't, if you're prime, you can't go to the FBS and go to a group of five. Like you have to go to a power five school and there's no better situation to come into than a team that's one eleven because the expectation is so low that even going what four and eight is an improvement over last year by a mark of 400%. Now imagine next year he goes six and six. I mean, that is an incredible turnaround just in and of itself. So I think the situation is right for him. I'm not certain the coaching hire is right for Colorado, because if you really wanted to write the ship, you would have to get a, a coach with significant FBS experience, but he's bringing his dogs with him. And, I, I'm not, you know, he's he's going to have five-star recruits come, at least one or two. And we will see how this goes in the Pac-12. Pac-12 is stacked right now. So I don't know if he will have immediate success, but hopefully he has some. You know, I, I don't want to poo-poo on this. Like, I, I want him to do well. So we'll see how this plays out. I'm not convinced of the hire. I'm skeptical of the hire. I think somebody who films everything that they do for some sort of Amazon prime documentary and his own YouTube channel. Like that's weird to me that that's weird. Something about that screams. I want the camera on me and not on the team. And if you are a coach of an FBS football team, like the camera needs to be on the team. It can't be on the coach. It distracts. It's it's a distraction. 100% it's a distraction. This isn't the Deion Sanders show anymore. This isn't primetime. You're a coach of an FBS program. The program needs to take precedence. So we will see that. Now, in a metric of perfect timing, the clock has struck 12 on this proverbial pumpkin. I hope you guys enjoyed the fourth iteration of Tasty Waves and a Cool Buzz. My name is